Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And you've got, if you're listening to this on Monday, four days until the entire Lost Caverns of Ixalan story drops on you in a single day. Don't know how that's going to work? Good luck. Uh, it's going to work a lot like an anvil in a Looney Tune sketch. <laughs> the The real mystery is whether they will stagger the release times by any amount of hour or minute, or if they'll drop them all at once so that the poor people on Twitter who weren't aware of the story being released that day immediately get people who click on story five, go to whatever ending it is, and post it to Twitter. And then it gets ruined for everybody. That's a fun ending. But mm, can't get ruined for me. The end of chapter five features a uh, completed Watley card, and it just gets put into every uh, Reddit post and Twitter thread <laughs> for the rest of the day. I will, I will never forgive the Tamio release, but that's that's a gripe for a different day. Um, all of the stories happening at once. We don't know if there's side story this time. Um, hope to God there is. We don't even know if there's more than like a story, a chap. They they literally haven't told us anything. So you're gonna uh, find out. Could yeah. be a book you have to buy. Just kidding. You know, Hopefully it's not. <laughs> the whole story drops, and what they mean is that it becomes available on Amazon and your Kindle reader uh, at that time. It's actually a book you have to find. It's in a cave, and there's only one, and there's traps everywhere. And uh, good luck. I'm excited for that though. Uh, also, um, as of day of listening to this, uh, the Doctor Who stuff is all out. Decks are released. You can go, uh, you can go buy Doctor Who decks and play Doctor Who, uh, cards and stuff. Uh, we recorded a Beyond the Multiverse with one of our, uh, patrons slash Discord members slash friend of the show, Evan. Uh, it's pretty good. It's a really quick rundown of everything you need to know about Doctor Who before you go into it. Uh, there's not like any spoilers. There's no like little granular details about like the nature of the master's time machine in a certain episode. It's just a overview. So um, go listen to that. If you haven't already, it's fun. But this week that's time for another story circle. That's right. We're, we're talking about our good friend, Bob Nixilis. And as the story closed in on that 2013 to 2014 era from last week, we got a little more refinement from the authorship, um, who they allowed to write stories, who got to write main stories, and kind of threading in as we approach the serialization of Magic Story. And so that would start proper with the new era as of Magic Origins, but a handful of names did emerge during that time for regular authorship for regular authorship that would solidify into character authors. So James Wyatt had written Liliana stories before Origins, kind of continued that momentum as we went into Magic Origins. And while Liliana wasn't necessarily in Battle for Zendikar, we still had some prequel prequel stories that went along with that. Um, Kimberly Cranes um, did Nissa, Kelly Diggs did Jace. Um, there were a lot of people involved in this, and it was important in shaping the identities of the main characters that people would be 
kind of attaching themselves to during this soft reboot. Um, people had known these characters before, but we were basically trying to get a fresh onboarding point. So they had to be pretty strong. And one of the stranger and more notable character authors that emerged during this time was for the non-Gatewatch Planeswalker Obnixilis, being written by Nick Davidson. And so Ob, his first and second stories are unfortunately deleted from the mothership during their massive update last year um, around this time. But as always, you can go to my site, mtglore.com. I have those stories rehosted. You can search by Planeswalker, select Obnixilis, and find rehosted versions of that original story, along with links to the Wayback Originals if you want to go view those pages. Um, has, it, has it really been like a year since the Great Pruning? <laughs> the Great Pruning of the website, for sure. They gave us a few months heads up, but yeah, it was um, it was a major event, and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out which links work, and I'm sorry to all the fans of the Legends of articles from Crimson Vow, but those are gone. <laughs> I don't know where they went, but they're gone. I don't think they're intentionally gone, but um, I'm giving them time. They've slowly restored some of the stuff back to usable status, but I, I assume everything pre-Origins that was deleted is staying deleted, so we're kind of in this situation now. This is a weird time period in Magic Story 2014, um, which is when this story was published. Uh, this is like when I started like really getting into Magic Story. So these some of these stories are like some of the first things I read for like web fiction um, outside of like the occasional smattering of little things I read of previous sets. So uh, it's weird coming back to this one, you know, almost 10 years later. Yeah. And the fact that it's almost 10 years later is also very weird to me because it <laughs> definitely definitely Ooh. doesn't feel like it's been almost 10 years. So, yeah, I'm, tr I'm trying to I'm trying to think who picked up the rest of it because because Doug did Chandra. Doug yes, for the most part, we didn't yeah. get too much Chandra starting out. And then by the time that Kaladesh came around, I believe he had taken a different role. People um, I know I, I know he wrote. I'm pretty sure he wrote at least one Chandra story in. Somewhere in the I believe the origin story and then possibly the promises to keep, which was the Chandra um, heading to Zendikar after getting one word into Monastery. Gideon, Gideon was Ari Levich? Yep. All star. Hell yeah. Ari holds a special place in my heart for remembering obscure bits of Gideon background that nobody else cares about except for That's me job. and like three others. I think he's still over on D and D. Hell yeah! Yes, I believe they had borrowed him from D and D initially, and now he has returned there. Um, yeah, James same with Wyatt, I believe. Too. Yeah, yeah. Well, James, James, I this this was Wyatt's uh, at my bookstore. That's the that's the kind of difference. I do see his books on the shelf. So uh, James was at D and D uh, for like fifteen years before coming to Magic in this era. Uh, so this is when James was getting into magic story writing for a number of years. James, I miss working with James. If someone at Watsi is listening, tell James he's great and uh, he was wonderful to work for. And I hope he's doing well. Um, let's 
we should we should be talking about Nick Davidson, the author of Dreams of the Dance. I told you in the pre-show that I could easily make this three hours. Here's the issue. Right. Nick <laughs> Davidson was kind of the most notable character author. When people got Nob Nick's list story, they were happy about it because they got exactly the kind of um me you're talking about me i'm the fan yes. who adores nick davison's op when i got hired to write for arena and saw that op was on the list of walkers i would write i got so excited he was like top of my list characters i wanted to write and uh yeah i love this story uh this is also chronologically the first story released but they released dreams of the damned and then the commander decks came out and that's when they released um I believe the first world is the hardest. A couple months later, right? Yeah, it was very, yeah. very shortly after in oh, um, release it time. Was like, I see November 2014. Yeah, it was like four months. Yeah, because uh, that was Commander 2014, and this story was released with um, Magic 2015, because uh, I've got a new legend there, and he featured in the um, Duels of the Planeswalkers 2015. It's the, it's the one that hates on tutoring. You remember that one, yeah. because mm -hmm. people overhyped it quite a bit um it's gonna break commander <laughs> it will break just commander. like every other six drop that breaks commander but contextually this was our first look at obnixilis we had known his flavor text on his original zendikar card he was a planeswalker who was desparked and stuck on this plane but now we get to dive in to the full reality of ob and this is dreams of the damned by nick davidson and there's an author note at the beginning the demon Obnixilus is shrouded in mystery. We do not know his origins, where he comes from, or even whether he has always been a demon. We do know this. He was once a planeswalker, until he was stripped of his spark and trapped on the wild mana plain of Zendikar thousands of years ago. Since then he has slowly enacted a plan to regain his power and escape. During the Magic 2015 Duels of the Planeswalkers storyline, one small part of that plan has come to fruition. Now... The former, and perhaps future, Planeswalker prepares to set the next part of his plan in motion. Then we'll hop right into the story. Demons don't sleep. I remember sleep, of course. And I remember how it felt at first. My little consolation prize. That I no longer needed to sacrifice a third of my life to pathetic mortal limitations. This form feels a little pain. It does not tire. But that just gave me more time alone with my rage. I was a conqueror. I am a conqueror, yet I had suffered two defeats in succession. The first robbed me of my body, the second of my spark. In my youth, I thought myself invincible. I thought I had proven myself invincible. Conquering your first world is the hardest, after all. My power grew as I moved from world to world, taking anything that would make taking the next easier. When I heard of the veil, it seemed too great a prize to refuse. I was a fool. Such a weapon can only destroy the one who wields it. Deep beneath the surface, the demon worked in silence. The cavern was illuminated only by the faint glow of runic script, etched into the dozens of hedrons that lined the walls. He rotated a hedron a few degrees and spoke a brief incantation. The runes flared, orange and brilliant, but the light faded quickly. He rotated a second hedron, repeated the spell, and watched as the runes flared again. The light lasted slightly longer, this time, an almost imperceptible increase in duration. The demon scratched notes into the stone floor with an obsidian claw, 
and moved to a third hedron. To know the freedom of the multiverse, and to have it stripped away, it is a tomb. To know that there are endless worlds to bring beneath my heel, to sit from fonts of power unimaginable, and then it's gone. All of it gone. And I am stuck on this disgusting little world, lulling atop this colony of scurrying insects, not even fit to be ruled. When the fullest depth of that fact sunk in, that was the first time I wished for sleep. I wished to tire, to rest, to let the torment end, if just for a few fitful hours. That can never happen. So what to do to pass the time? The people of this world offer little amusement. The humans of this place are cowards and vagabonds. I've hunted them, toyed with them, so dull. The elves are primitive, but at least they'll stand and fight. Their bones snap like the game birds I used to hunt so many centuries and plains ago. And there are only so many goblins you can crush before the act loses its charm. Well, most of its charm. They do make a very funny noise. Then there's the core. They avoid me. I avoid them. Because in each of their smug, chalky faces, I see her. Zendikar's self-appointed protector. Nahiri, deep beneath the surface, a power stirred. Lines of magic buried beneath, countless tons of rock and dirt slowly came alive, and a passage opened. A pale green light escaped from the depths, and the demon curled his wings to tight to his body so as to squeeze into the narrow path. Could there be a more miserable place in all the eternities? I was drawn to it like so many others. The mana here is rich and powerful. This place is a trap. I thought that the power to be gained here, I could purge my curse, burn out this infection and restore my form. I never got the chance to find out. I had barely finished getting my bearings when she attacked. She never showed a scrap of emotion as she did it, maybe the slightest hint of pity. Her binding magic was like nothing I had ever encountered. It was never even a fight, and I couldn't even scream as she bound the hedron into me. In that moment, everything ceased. The walls of the passage lurched, and crushed stone rained down on the demon's back. The sides of the passage suddenly crushed together. The depths of Zendikar had detected an intruder, and the stone itself sought to purge him. He brought himself a moment by bracing himself between the walls, and he muttered a spell. He bought himself a moment by bracing himself between the walls, and he muttered a spell. The vitality of the stone was drained away, the animating force snuffed out, and the rock crumbled in a perfect spear around the demon's crouching form. Through tiny cracks, the green glow beckoned him on. He began to dig. My curse was stopped. The call of that faraway place had just vanished. But all my power vanished with it. When I could finally rise from the ground, the bones in my shoulders crumbled. My wings were useless. They fell off a few days later. The thing she put inside me made me small, weak. That is something I can never forgive. And for that, one day, I will have my revenge. That was centuries ago. I have never seen her again, but I see her face in my mind as if it were yesterday. Some of the vampires here live that long, but they have good sense to either go mad or forget. Did she know that by doing this to me, she would preserve my mind? Over time, it became clear to me that the hedron inside me was an object of great power. Power. The universal language. 
The demon had clawed at the stone for weeks. He spent days slowly tearing through much denser strata. The air in the tiny pocket of stone was thin, replenished only by a small rune sphere he had taken from a merfolk trader. Twice he had stopped in order to let his claws regrow. The closer he came to the source of the glow, the faster he healed. I studied the Hedrons for centuries. I know their magic better than anyone save the one who made them. And when a planeswalker would come to this place, I would make a point of making introductions. Visitors to a strange new place need a guide. They need information. I was happy to help. There have been dozens over the countless years. I let them know about my condition. I let the information filter out past the boundaries of this cesspool. And sure enough, some arrogant child finally took my lure. One of the most important lessons a conqueror needs to learn is that when others believe themselves to be smarter than you, you just let them keep on believing that, right up until they stop believing anything at all. After all this time waiting, some proud planeswalker whelp came to find me, to strike me down and extract the hedron. Hundreds of years of planning to make this day come about, and all I could focus on was putting up just enough of a fight so as not to draw suspicion. I never doubted that this day would come. It was all I could do, lying there in the swamp, not to laugh. Deep beneath the surface, the demon reached gently into the tiny sphere of life. He removed a small handful of soil and a tiny flower, glowing green and gold, in his palm. It radiated power, warmth, and health. The ancient passages snapped open, and he cradled it gingerly as he walked back to the surface his laughter echoing off the walls. The Eldrazi and their spawn rampage on. One can't help but admire the efficiency with which they exterminate and corrupt. From time to time I muse on what I could accomplish with an army like that. No matter. Some misguided souls will come to fight the Eldrazi. They cannot help it. Heroes are like ants swarming over a discarded suite. When they arrive, they will need to know what I know. The Hedrons were created for this, a weapon like no other, and I may be the only one alive who knows how they work, but I know what else they can be used for as well. The power is returning to me. I felt this world shudder when Balaged was destroyed. In that moment, I could smell the multiverse again. My spark is within reach. I know what I must do. And that the only cost to regaining my spark will be the complete obliteration of the world I hate most among them all? Demons may not sleep, but we dream. Well, that's a excellent, excellent ending for that story. Love that that part there. We wanna do you wanna jump into some general vibes con conclusions? Some some thoughts and feelings about this? I just love Obnixels. I love the right way Nick writes him. I love that we have a demon who isn't, you know, cackling evil, that Ob is long-winded, that he is articulate, that he is... Poetic. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, the, the like word I he, was thinking. He, he is a man who understands rhetoric and loves hearing himself talk, uh, and who always believes he is the most correct person in a room and isn't totally off-base on yeah. that um i love ob as a villain i these stories set up a picture of ob 
that I think I've been let down by since. Um, Same. Great character. I just the we're there's a there's a boop boop boop. Uh, there's a question you wrote in the agenda. Uh, why is the main portion portion of the story in first person? Uh, it's one of the things I like most about it. It centers Ob's perspective. Um, it makes him the most important thing to the narrative lens of this story. That that this isn't the story of Ob. This is Ob's story. Um, it allows us to revel in his disdain. Um, it lets us feel the way the raw hatred is rooted so deep in his ancient heart. Uh, it is fantastic. It's 100% the correct choice. Uh, it allows this to feel like his own reflective pontifications. Um, a who is and like who is he speaking to? This is happening while he like. It's almost like he's self-narrating his own tragedies while he's digging this tunnel. Um, because even in a life of loneliness, where he is scraping for any bit of power back, uh, he still sees himself as the conqueror he's always been, as the most important person in the whole world. Um it's spectacular. I love this story so much. Yeah, I I basically I just agree with everything you said. I think Obnixilis as a as like a poet warlord is great. This like bloodthirsty conquering monster who also just like has some very beautiful ways of putting it, you know, just the way he talks, the way he thinks. Um at least set up in these stories and uh we can argue about the future of Obnixilis as a character. Um, but yeah, I, I liked, I liked it a lot. Um, I wanted to bring up some, uh, unless you have some, like some quick thoughts, Carrie, you want to add before we, before we go into some more analysis. I feel like his tone in this story stays fully consistent with the rest of Nick's writing. Obviously we diverge a bit. <laughs> Once Ob stops back in the story for War of the Spark and going onwards, um, but it doesn't feel as condescending. It just feels like it's a matter of fact, like he doesn't need to do mm -hmm. this. And I don't know how to describe that as being different from Nicol Bolas, but it feels different when Nick is writing it. Like if Nick wrote Nicol Bolas like this, I just wouldn't buy that it's Bolas. But writing... Ob like this feels perfect. Um, one one of the things you know, as a person who has written both of these characters, um, Nicol Bolas is a, you know, part of part of Bolas as a character is that the showmanship is the point, where everything is big and dramatic and cruel in a really over the top way, um, because Bolas really likes the attention. Uh, Ob is tactical in his language um he is uh you know in in the second op story um the first world is the hardest i believe is the title of that one which is taken directly from a line in the story which is great um uh his which is his origin story um we get a picture of him as this 
historian warrior. Um, he's he's almost like a war scholar, um, and so he he speaks with authority that he fully understands cannot be questioned. Um, he doesn't need to belittle people to their faces because that I think is the difference because it should just be assumed that he's better by his actions yeah I think up in flames is the story from battle for Zendikar or Oath of the Gatewatch when Ab comes into the picture and starts beating them down but he's not like making fun of them because it's all maintains this narration so it's just like yeah he can insult them but he just needs to get out of this situation and you know, deal with these defenders of Zendikar mm-hmm. so that it can fall to its fate. It is uh it is a great contrast to the Bolas fight in um Hour of Devastation, where Bolas spends a lot of word count just tearing into every member <laughs> of the Gatewatch. Mm-hmm. Um at, like a big part of that is Bolas's sense of inadequacy, which is a core mm-hmm. part of his character. Um that he was one of the smaller elder dragons. He had to share a name with his twin. He watched other dragons die, and you know he was pushed aside. Uh, he was not the first planeswalker. Uh, just everything in his life has built up this inferiority complex that he rages against, and he turns that outwards to everybody else. Ob just like he's too cool for school. Yeah. He doesn't need to prove that he freaking rules. He just kills you and moves on. He's very goal-oriented that way. He's very military that way. I think that's another big difference between Bolas and, and uh, Ob. Is, is Ob is very um, martial in his thinking, that there are mission objectives that he will make the necessary moves to take. And trust me, no matter how painful they are, they are necessary mm-hmm. and he will take them. Uh, you know, a good example in the story is, hey, I will happily play the fool and let people believe that they are smart if it gets me what I want. I will play yeah. along, but I will win in the end. Um, and uh, it's a great personality. It's a great personality for a demon, uh, I think, in particular. Yeah, I think Obnixilis' thing is also that he he admits when he like respects someone. Yeah. In a way, like mm-hmm. his his way of when he mentions Nahiri in the story, it's a very abrupt turn um, because like he talks about like how easy it was to, you know, kill the humans and crush the elves and how it was kind of fun to like splatter the goblins. Uh, but the core, he just stays away from because of Nahiri. Um, and I think that that is a thing that uh, other characters who are like supposed to be created as these sort of evil villains, you wouldn't really see them do very often mm-hmm. because admitting a weakness would be by their, you know, standards, the wrong thing to do. But here, Obnixilis is sort of admitting it. But what he's really doing is he's saying like, tactically, it is a bad idea for me to interact with the core yeah. because the one time I did that, it turned out poorly. <laughs> so I am not going to do that anymore. And it's, it's, comes across as being actually an intelligent and like smart choice of his and not like oh i'm scared of nahiri or like anything like that he it, it comes off the way that the language is is put there you know they avoid me i avoid them um and it's it's just like a, a sort of like militaristically 
we are in a stalemate because I don't want to deal with the crazy rock lady um, who put a hedron in me. Uh, he he is very pragmatic. Yeah. And Bolas is fantastical. And and so, like, it's not that Ob isn't cruel. He enjoys the sound goblins make when you squish them. And it isn't that he <laughs> won't insult somebody. He takes a real good dig at Jace in this story. Um, it's that these are not his primary objectives. Uh, they do not serve his greater goals of methodical, tactical, pragmatic progress towards his goals. Um, yeah. Well, does he take a swipe at Jace, or does he take a swipe at the player character from Duels of the Planeswalker 2015? This is like a decade-long debate, (laughs) and it has no answer because Ob doesn't recognize Jace during the Up in Flames era, or Oath of the Gatewatch uh, era story. And people took that as like, oh, well, he's talking about not Jason, because if he recognized Jason, he would have mentioned it. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's it's the duels planeswalker. It was either Jason or it was you. It doesn't matter who yeah. pulled the Hedron out exactly. Could but... have been. Wait, no, it couldn't have been Bronos. Bronos it could not then. have been Bronos. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, but... so I think that's a, a good part to talk about some of the meta textual context for this. Um, we mentioned it before the story came out. Uh, it came out like a full like month almost after the release of N15. So it's like a weird thing in Magic where like now we get all the story before the set releases or we would get the story even recently like as the set released. So it was like unusual for us to have a story come out like a month later. Like that it, nowadays it's unusual. Um, but at the time, like this was a month after M15, the set has released um, and this story kind of fell within the M15 preview stories. A lot of the stories that were coming out in Uncharted Realms during this time period were dealing with legendaries from M15. Um, but it actually is part of the Duels of the Planeswalkers 2015 promotion, the game um, where that story of M15, which is sort of like, I think, one of the first core sets to really have a story. Um, even if it's pretty loose uh, in a lot of ways, was the story of the plane, Tools of the Planeswalkers 2015 game. So this is the first like piece of fiction we've read in the story circle that is sort of functioning within a role, other than being like a preview article or being like a weird insert in the Dominaria encyclo- or Encyclopedia Dominia. This story is acting as like game fiction for the Duels of the Planeswalkers 2015 game. And that feels very different to me than the Wars Wage preview art article or the uh, Cowardice of the Hero preview card article um, because it is sort of functioning within a larger narrative, Mm -hmm. uh, which is different from those, which all function like individually. uh, And it's also functioning as like part of a set of stories when the other stories that we read mostly stood on their own. Um, so I thought I thought that was really interesting um, that that's the era that we've sort of gotten ourselves into with the story circle, but also just this era of magic in general. Um, and yeah, I think it's really weird that the story like directly references Duels of the Planeswalkers 2015's player character. <laughs> yeah, um, they had to they had to get that bridge built between, I mean, basically between that Duels of the Planeswalkers 2015 game and Battle for Zendikar because Battle for Zendikar is when. Ob has obtained the colony heart during the 
little italicized third person interludes in this story and yeah right i forgot that this like i knew the story was setting up nahiri stuff was this was this story the first time we first time first time nahiri's name yes because she wouldn't be she was named as zendikar's protector and that she was core and then people were like she has to be the lithomancer and then like like we said four months later we got the we got the fiction yeah. for yeah then we got the commander decks and uh which is when we got the story with her and ugin and Sora. the lithomancer yes yeah these these magic story interstitials as i'll call them um the best comparison i had to base this off of was the garden of flesh mm-hmm. um, yeah i think that's fair it wasn't yeah. part of the block necessarily it's I mean, it's technically like grouped in with Streets and New Capenna or whatever, but Ashiok wasn't in Streets. Norn wasn't in Streets. Um, Ab was in M15, but this isn't an M15 story. This just happens to have released around this time and was related to a video mm-hmm. game that was going to go from Ab getting the Hedron pulled out of his head in the video game to Ab more powerful and plotting in this story. And then eventually come to fruition with Ab having actually abducted the colony heart, trying to use it in a ritual, and then leading into his reignition at Seagate. But these have their benefits and they have their downsides. And I think a lot of us want these to be more regularly used because mm-hmm. we like hearing updates from around the multiverse. And if we got more quote-unquote side story that featured um planeswalkers that we would see maybe a year from now maybe two years from now but we had that setup going it's great and it feels great like we saw in garden of flesh that was norn's first appearance in web fiction and ashiak's arguably first meaningful (laughs) appearance in web fiction uh they had been in a story very shortly for dreams of the city and the kind of setup for that in theros but we get these stories and they tend to be freer to emotionally engage with the characters. They build anticipation for upcoming products and upcoming storylines because everybody wants to know what's going to happen with Ob's plans here. Everybody wants to know if Norn is going to kind of bend under the pressure of these nightmares. Yes, um, she does. Yeah, <laughs> they <laughs> tease potential threads and... Um, Post-Origins, they remind us, while the serialized story is going on, that we're not seeing the whole picture even from the set stories. There are still machinations happening in the multiverse. Ashiok is visiting Norn, and that has implications for both characters' futures with Magic's story. So it makes it feel a lot bigger. What are the downsides? Um, that they take a lot of effort because yeah. it turns out planning magic story is not easy and they're kind of optional. People didn't need to read uh, the garden of flesh or a garden of flesh in order to understand the March of the machine story. They don't need to read this story in order to understand the battle for Zendikar story or Oath of the game. Do they? Because <laughs> I mean, Ob does talk about how the Adwazi existing is like, uh, a magnet for heroes which was part of bulbas's plan yeah but they don't need to <laughs> it's not necessary background reading as i suppose where it goes because people want to see the action of the story beats happening 
Mm -hmm. And regardless of how you feel about people only caring about story beats, that's a good number of people in the community who either don't have time for the story or only want Cliff Notes versions of the story. So they're taking up budget and time. They require a lot of planning. And if something happens to the future magic set product or the magic set storyline associated with that product, they can't unpublish that story that they published two years ago in order to make it fit in. So then you get into the kind of messy business of trying to continuity dodge, <laughs> figure out figure out where you can go. We, we can't say that they can't unpublish stories because they well. absolutely do. Um, but uh, no, I mean, like, I think... Th- that's a very good point. So both of those those points, the pros and cons are very, very important. I just do want to say with the con point, um, it does seem like for people who like listen to our podcast or are part of our discord or are active in magic story fan circles, um, people you often hear people saying like, we do want more of these stories that are like character pieces set outside of whatever larger story arc is going on. Um, essentially like side stories, but like not even necessarily related to the set or like not related to the the main plot of the set at all. Um, people say they want that, but like I do want to point out that um, our podcast is popular because people love Cliff Notes versions of story. Yeah, um, that is what a lot of people come to listen to us for. And that's fair. And I respect that. And I that's why we do it. Um, and I, I think that it's a valuable thing. I will say that like the story circle article or episodes, some of my favorite stuff we've done, they don't really matter. They are also like some of our least listened to episodes of the past little while because of the fact that like, whether or not you want to admit it, people do just kind of want to read the magic story arc that is happening. Um, People want to know like, what is the next step in Phyrexia's plan? What is Oko up to? Uh, That's great. These aren't, these episodes aren't for them. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, uh, if we cared about what people thought about our episodes, about whether or not we made them, there'd be a lot of stuff we didn't make. Um, we would have so, so many top tens. I would never so. talk about Loot Niptal. Um, but like what I'm saying is that like, you know, that on the outside, like if you are a invested story and a fan of Magic Story, you look at this and you're like, wow, we need a lot more Dreams of the Damned uh, or like Cowardice of the Heroes, because these are like really great world building stories or character focused <laughs> stories um or in obs you know place world destroying stories uh but (laughs) the the thing is is that like those aren't super popular and it's a lot of effort and a lot of work and also that translates to time uh and money in that case for for something that's not as popular chris you don't need to invent a hypothetical worthos here uh i am the person who wants more dream to the damn stories I am mm-hmm. the person who wants more people to know that Dreams of the Damned and stories like it exist. I am the person who wants the people to read these stories and enjoy them to go tell wizards mm-hmm. uh, to make more stories like this. Uh, so I, I am the person you're talking about. I am uh, in a weirder existence in terms of fan community and narrative creation than most people but uh i i am the kind of person who who would like this episode if i was not on this podcast this i am i am the person here or the person who could potentially be me the next me could be listening right now and if they are get ready for some 
big gender changes in your near future. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's yeah. here's my actual comparison because I realize there is a more apt mm-hmm. one: Master of Metal from Boom Comics. That is one to one exactly what's happening here. We get to see mm-hmm. the villains setting up their plot. We get to see all aspects of their personality on display, and it doesn't. It's not required reading, but it definitely helps recontextualize the story going forward if you have read it. Um, speaking of which, let's go to Ob's actual perspective during this story, which is that yeah, he's losing all of his power and is stuck on this backwater, backwatered <laughs> wild magic plane. Um, I shouldn't say backwater because we know how many planeswalkers have been to Zendikar. Yeah, and and dismal backwaters on Tarkir, I think. So true, but hasn't it been reprinted <laughs> elsewhere? Since the, it's uh, been reprinted in everything. So, Bob's story just gets to construct the, because we're going into this with zero knowledge of Ob, besides that he had been a planeswalker and was then by Zendikar original setting, not a planeswalker and a legendary creature on a card. It gets to construct that fall from power. And what caused that fall from power? I know this is unexpected, but it was seeking even greater power. He was taking whatever he possibly could to help him conquer the next plane even easier than the first. And one of those artifacts happened to be the Chainville. God, Chainville I haven't even have... I haven't even talked about how this story tied into the Chainville and became yeah. like the or nexus even... of a whole bunch of thoughts that I had about magic at the time. <laughs> So the chain veil, he grabbed it. Um, at some point, it got returned to Chandelar after he was cursed with it. But he had grabbed the chain veil, started to be corrupted by it. I would have thought he would be stronger than that. But he then goes to Zendikar to try to use its raw, pure magic to kind of cleanse his curse from his body. And he can't, because as soon as he gets there in true Old Walker fashion... Nahiri is there ready to slap him down. <laughs> uh, I I love planar protectors from pre-mending magic because if you show up on Chandelar, you're going to get Keenan Sarmal. If you show up on Zendikar, you're going to get Nahiri. Like, that's, that's just how it goes. And his story gets to have a unique reflection on the loss of pre-mending Planeswalker power, but he experienced it in the most severe way possible. Um, he had basically all the effects of the mending imposed on him and then also all the effects of the spark rupture as well and was stuck on this plane still with his curse turning him into in- turning him into a demon and went straight from god to random planar denizen one of the people he would have trounced all over five minutes prior and what does he want he just wants that power he wants his power back, but he also wants vengeance. And that's kind of where people got a little iffy on Ob, in my opinion. A lot of people were labeling him as a Saturday cartoon villain during the battle for Zendikar block. But like, I think he's more nuanced than that. Um, you also get the fun of a year later during Shadows of Innistrad and Eldritch Moon. We got to see basically the mirror of his imprisonment being Nahiri's own 
when she went to visit Soren, she gets stuck in the Hell Vault. She is left with her mind, but basically robbed of her body and goes about as well as Ob's imprisonment goes on Zendikar. Um, but, you know, it's easy for people to paint magic villains with a broad brush. Um, we kind of have a lot of cycles of loss of power and the desire to regain that power. I'm not exactly thinking that Ob's going to be on streets of New Capenna right now and totally happy with his situation and not trying to figure out a way to reignite his spark. But I'll see that it is a very, very common theme. And so what do we think about the nuance of Ab as a villain? No, actually, let's Twitterify it. Is, is Ab a good or a bad villain? You He's know? a good villain. What? I think Ab falls in this really interesting space where... If you were to write an outline of Obnixilis, he would look pretty boring, but the way that he is written as a character makes him so much more interesting. Um, I think a less skilled writer or a less skilled creative team uh, would make a much less interesting uh, character um, and a villain that felt really flat. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's like, that's Ob, but also like, I think that that's a lot of characters like in general like i'm sorry but luke skywalker would be the most boring person in the galaxy if he wasn't being acted by mark hamill uh and written by ryan johnson in the last jedi the most important of the star wars movies well, hold on. <laughs> you, you, you can you can just look at luke skywalker in a new hope and luke skywalker in last jedi to showcase that difference uh <laughs> yeah he's like not a very interesting character in A New Hope. Most of the characters aren't, uh, except Han, who rules. Uh, and he's so good at Last Jedi. Anyway, uh, Ob is in a class of one of my favorite villain archetypes, which is guy who could say a thing in five words, but says it in 30 words instead and makes you really interested in every single one of them. Because he just has it. Whatever yeah, it swag. is. He <laughs> he's, he's got, does, I think they call it a Riz oh. now. Well, I mean, that's A-V-E, so... And not a word that applies to this situation, but... <laughs> All I know is middle schoolers keep saying it, and I'm so confused. Well, that's because suburban middle schoolers appropriate a lot of ave but that that's not the important part is does ob have t-boy swag and i don't think so no and i, I feel unqualified to answer that question Doretti, maybe <laughs> uh jace obviously uh no, ob, yeah. Eh, yeah i think he's probably sis yeah here's here's where i land on ob i think if he was spaced out to be not necessarily like i understand his role in this story especially mm -hmm. headed into oath of the gatewatch if he was not overshadowed by bolas it would be mm -hmm. much much more interesting i think being overshadowed by the eldrazi was fine but when you go one layer deep is yeah mini boss ob two layers deep is mini boss two eldrazi titans and then three layers up is bolas like tying that all together might have been the fatal flaw in perception of Ob, where I think if he 
had his own space to shine that mm-hmm. wasn't new capenna <laughs> it would be it would be kind of more redeeming for his character um to see how he is in action yeah i one of the things we talked about or i mentioned earlier was um the difference between the way ob is portrayed in nick davidson's uh couple stories here uh and the way he ends up functioning in magic story later um because he's a character who in this story talks about his vengeance uh he seeks against nahiri and um by oath of gatewatch we see him reignited as a planeswalker which means he's free to be a villain at any time uh and seeking vengeance against the gatewatch and uh then we have nothing and then all of a sudden he shows shows up in war of the spark where nahiri and the gatewatch are and his whole thing is what if actually i helped these people yeah uh and wow what a letdown these are cautions of a magic product story is that we don't have control over which planeswalkers are in the set necessarily because mm-hmm. those are a lot of the times dictated by design. So if Ob's out of the sets for a while, you you might not get the same Ob a few years later. Yeah, and then like by by the time we get to New Capenna, it's just well, all those old threads are dropped. Um and uh, like New Capenna story focus was not on Ob and He got to play the mini boss role again. And mm-hmm. in playing that role, uh, not, not really. Even, he, I don't it, like a he, side side quest. Even like it wasn't it wasn't that he rewarding. was technically there. Yes. So I I think it's really interesting the way that we're talking about this story versus the other ones that we've covered in the story circle. Um, talking about the role of this story, the role of Ob in this larger uh, narrative, um, because the other three stories we read were like you know standalones. Um, and now we're having to discuss a mm-hmm. character and a story in a, a huge context, like a giant context of not just like the M15 story, like as like a set of stories or not the context of like this versus the Commander 2014 stories, but also just like we've already mentioned War of the Spark, Streets of New Capenna. We're talking about Obnixilis's role as like a larger character within this IP. And I just think it's interesting because I think it does affect the way that we read a story. So if I read this story not thinking of Obnixilis as a larger part of the magic story, IP, family, whatever you want to call it, um, and I was just judging this story of like quality and, and interest, I would rank it really high. I'd be like, this is a great story. The character's voice is very clear. The writing is very distinct. I think that the choice of doing the back and forth, third person, first person, uh, so that we're seeing it from the outside, but also from the inside is really interesting. Um, I would give Nick Davidson some high credits on that. Uh, but looking at the story from like a larger contextual point of view, it just I hate that it also makes me feel let down because it's so good that the next set of stories that we have Ob in are difficult. And well, Dak like wrote on his back, right? Am I correct to remember that? Or like did Ob like uh, pick him I- up? I think it's like a silly little thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like a silly little, like under his armpit or something. And like, it just kind of (laughs) sucks sometimes to be a fan of like an IP fiction where you do have to sort of wrangle with that, where you're like, 
I love this character and I love this story, but like, oh man, I now have to like accept the fact that at some point Obnixilis is going to make some sort of armpit joke. Like that's going to be his point. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I just think of that, like we're now entering that era going through time of magic story in 2014. where like stories now were part of huge, long narrative arcs and not just self-contained little set stories. Um, post weatherlight but we're not going that far back yeah so um yeah i, I will know. note that he's not in this story like ab is never named this is dreams of the damned if you got a plain text version of this story you would probably be pretty confused because you had to see that preview art at the end <laughs> to know that ab Nixilis is the main character Unless you did a lot of lot of study about demons on Zendikar and happened to remember this one-off mm-hmm. weird rare as um, the character to connect this to. So there's a point in having art in these stories, especially as the web fiction, because like, you basically couldn't tell this in plain text without like novel or anything without having some kind of supplement to be like, here's where you piece it together. Um, and we, we obviously didn't have that because this was Ob's story (laughs) debut, debut. So, but I will, I will end on a high note, which is book ending. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uncharted Realms love this shit. I love this (laughs) shit. I think it should be in every story. It, it is actually surprisingly underutilized, especially in short fiction. Uh, but fuck, do I, do I kind of love this? demons don't dream baby i yeah i love the the bookends i i'm a sucker for like a good opening line i just i well you you gotta read the bullet point you wrote in this section boy Mm -hmm. do i love it when first and uh first line line. and final line match uh yeah i i too am a fan of this literary technique uh i like it as a way of uh, stating and repeating a thesis. Um, I like when themes are accessible uh, and plainly stated a lot. And it works so well here because it's already a bottle mm-hmm. episode about uh, digging through the fucking dirt. Like you don't, <laughs> you don't need to be more poetic than Ob himself. You can just demons don't sleep, but we do dream. Perfect. It also works really well as a rhetorical device uh, because of the way this story is constructed. Uh, I like using it a lot in my own work. Um, shout out to uh, my TTRPG group who are the only people who read my uh, narrative work <laughs> these days currently because um, uh, I read a lot of fic for my OCs uh and their OCs and uh this is uh, a thing I love doing as well it's great it is probably one of those things that like how uncharted realms I had mentioned loved to do the kind of obvious twist um but the more that I read the uncharted realms articles like I don't maybe it's not as true as I remember it being and maybe it's just like there were a few very very notable ones that felt a mm-hmm. little too hammy um but yeah, Uncharted Realms was a great time. And I was, this is basically the start of acknowledging this and along with Nissa World Waker, where they 
softly rehabilitated Nissa's character. Um, were yeah, it was basically uh, the, the year start. before this, right? No, Nissa World Waker was part of the same set of stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For real? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they also had Veldrazi rampaging and she met some random herder who um, taught her how to be nice. And that's how that story goes. Not one of my favorites, but this set was basically like the we already have Battle for Zendikar design and story outline ready to roar. Um, You guys just get a little bit of an early tease on this. And I love that. I think it should always be done, um, especially during story downtimes. Like, obviously, there wasn't that much of an opportunity for it between March of the Machines and now the Omen Path arc and the larger mega arc that encompasses the next three years. But we didn't necessarily get it with between War of the Spark and what would become the Phyrexian arc. So, yeah. Has has everyone like said what they want to say about this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, you are right that Nissa World Waker was printed in M15 along with this new op card. I forgot that. Uh, and I was like, I really like a lot. I like this art piece a lot. Who did the art? And I looked down and see Please. Peter Morbacher. So we're ending <laughs> on that note. That's a whole other thing. You know that it's uh, it's like a traceover of some music artists. I will get roasted for not knowing the music artists offhand. But um, you can you can Google the Nissa World Waker. No, art. you we we can't we can't dive into that topic now. We, yep, we cannot. <laughs> we cannot. Oh. All right. Let's, let's get uh, anyway. <laughs> final <laughs> thoughts. Uh, my final thought is I got a new tattoo. Uh, if you uh, are following me on any of my social medias, you have probably seen it. Uh, if you are in our Discord server, more on that in a moment. Um, you have seen it, uh, because, you know, I, I was looking at, uh, so I'm, I'm friends with someone who owns a tattoo, a tattoo and piercing studio. That's like five minutes from where one of my partners lives. They're wonderful. Um, and I was looking through available flash pieces by a bunch of the artists because I was trying to figure out what tattoo I wanted. And, um, one of them had, uh, a couple Star Wars pieces. Uh, and so me being who I am, uh, went, hey, you know what would make me more attractive and fuckable is if I had a B1 battle droid pinup etched onto my body. Um, and so uh, I on, on the, the outside of my right thigh, I have a B1 battle droid pinup <laughs> tattooed on my body now. Uh, it's really adorable. Uh, the artist was really excited to uh to do it uh she thought no one was ever gonna get it and i'm just like this is my tattoo it was made for me (laughs) um it's delightful uh i am unfortunately unfortunately that's the side i prefer to sleep on so i'm having a a rough time sleeping uh and uh you know this is this is how i suffer for being beautiful uh, but I love tattoos. Everyone should get tattoos. I want more tattoos. I want more tattoos right now, which I can't do because they're expensive and they take a long time to heal when I just got one. Um, but uh, tattoos are great. Everyone get tattoos. Uh, and, you know, it's important that they're very uh, meaningful as, uh, you know, only a pinup of a B1 battle droid can be. 
<laughs> you you say uh, people should wait between tattoos, but I, I think I got one like two weeks ago and I'm probably going to get another one. Yeah, tomorrow. I, I know you um, have a problem specifically. I do have a problem. It's a passion. So, uh, it's not an addiction. It's not an addiction. No, well, it's just when you become friends with people who own tattoo parlors, things yeah. start happening. You just start I, getting yeah. a I, lot of tattoos. I was amazed I walked out of there without buying a new nose ring. So I've had this one for like two years and I want a closed nose ring. But that's a whole other. Anyway. Um, that That's basically going to be my final thought, too, is that uh, <laughs> as of Dave recording, this is 1012. Uh, tomorrow is Friday the 13th. It's a big day for getting cheap little tattoos. Um, never get a tattoo that costs $13. Don't ever do that. That's like the dumbest thing you can do. But um, I will probably go and like go visit my tattoo parlor and be like, hey, what's up? What you got? Anyone want to do something small and fun? Um, because that's how I cope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got a really beautiful piece on my arm one day because I walked in and was like, I'm sad. I need something fun. And they did it. Um, so shout out. Shout out to my tattoo artists. Love you. Yeah, my my first tattoo was it wasn't like a walk in, uh, but it was a hey, our the tattoo place says they're taking walk ins. Let's send a message and try and set something up before we head over there to see if this is a thing that we can do today. And it just happened. And it's great. Carrie, how many tattoos do you have? Zero. I am. I Coward. am a pain baby. I watched. <laughs> I watched my partner. I didn't even watch my partner uh, get their nose pierced, um, but they did get their nose pierced in the same room as me. And one of us was lightheaded. I won't say like, who. Like a stat on the side or a septum? Septum. And uh, there wasn't even blood. I was just, I'm no. just a very, uh, you know. A septum very piercing is faint so prone easy. <laughs> I'm very uh, prone to fainting and that is perfectly fine. It's something I accept. I've squeezed a splinter out of my finger and almost passed out from it. So I'm not you. I'm not the champion of pain here. But what I am the champion of is serving our great nation by creating a Titan in Destiny 2 <gasps> and playing through Lightfall. I have left my Warlock solo ways behind so that my friend can get an all-Titan run of Deepstone Krypton for some kind of achievement. And Z will be very happy once this is done. But I had a Titan character that I hadn't touched in about three years. And I said, I will rank this character up in order to play Deepstone Crypt. Not that I really need to rank it up that much. I just need to remember how to play Titan more. And so now I'm running through Lightfall campaign, getting Strand so I can be Strand, uh, Woven Mail, Heal Titan. Berserker so. is the most fun I have had playing Titan in this game. <laughs> Welcome back to the crayon eating ways. Uh, I assume your friend is trying to uh, one phase Atrax one, which is easiest to do when you just have six Thunder Crash and Curacao the Falling Star Titans. Um, although there are a lot more supers than there used to be that can do that. Um, shout out to Atrax one, my robot bug wife. We've far um, cord before, but. Mm hmm. It's kind of tight with how slow I'm moving, even as a warlock. But yeah, talk about it in Discord. We're gonna yeah, talk, talk about, about it. it. What we have a Destiny. We have a Destiny Two channel in Discord, but I don't post it enough. Um, this season of Destiny rule. Anyway, uh, yeah, we have a Discord server. Um, so, uh, fun fact: our show is actually sponsored. A lot of people don't know this. We are sponsored by Italian American immigrant food. That's right. You like red sauce? 
come on our Discord server. Uh, you can do this by either giving me your Nona's leftovers uh, because I'm hungry uh, and my heart is very easy to access with the correct keys. Um, or you can head to patreon.com slash Vorthoscast, where everyone who supports us gets access to our Discord community where Vorthoses from around the world are mostly talking about Doctor Who these days. It feels like every channel somewhere in the server uh, is talking about Doctor Who. A lot of people have started rewatching uh, or watching for the first time uh, because of the Commander decks and, uh, you know, the Lost Caverns of Ixalan story is imminent which means we're gonna have a lot of discussion about that uh which means this is a great time to join the server card previews are gonna be even you know not too long after the story drops uh and there's gonna be a lot of chatter a lot of excitement i hope um kellen is back we love kellen here um all kellen lovers are welcome he's a good boy and uh, we would just love to see uh, more folks joining joining the fun. We we have a wonderful community with a lot of wonderful people in it. Uh, and, you know, you, even beyond that, we have a wonderful listener base, all you out there. So thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been the Borthos Cast.